Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and Mr. Gareth Dix. How are you, sir? Hey, how you doing? And um, for those listening, um, it was Graham's birthday yesterday. So happy birthday, Graham. And should also point out that um, Graham is still, unlike me, uh, the right side of 40. <laughs> so congratulations, bro. And um, enjoy Thank those, you, the rest of your 30s is all I can say. The twilight years yes. of the third decade. Yeah, I will. Uh, f- yes, I will enjoy that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Had a good birthday. Managed to uh, have family around in the garden. Did staggered visits, but that's been such, uh, yeah, just such a good thing that we're able to see our families even in gardens is just great. Yeah, that makes uh, a difference. Got to see my little nephew George for the first time uh, properly and, and hold him, which was the best. And Brilliant. Um, also got my usual quota of of books as presents, which I'm pumped about. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. I, I, I'll tell you what I'm reading actually. I got some amazing books for my birthday. Um, I got, my mum bought me uh, this book, which is called, um, you'll like the cover Gareth as well. This oh, is called nice. When Narcissism Comes to Church. Oh. When Narcissism oh, Comes to Church. Oh my days, that looks good. Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. Uh, it's by Chuck DeGroote. I think that's how you pronounce it, and um, so he he is uh, he is a psychologist, I believe, but also uh, is involved in uh, pastoral ministry. Um, he is he is reformed as well, so seems seems solid, um, and uh, so far so good. You know, I think it's a subject that not many people read that much into, but so far I'm really impressed with it, and. Uh, I would say that the dangers of narcissism and narcissistic abuse are perhaps amplified in the case of the local church. And I think in particular, less so maybe in, I don't know because I can't speak from experience, but less so maybe in the kind of C of E style church where there are proper checks and balances for who gets into ministry, but certainly in... It's a real risk in uh, evangelical churches or in, um, you know, churches like free evangelical or charismatic where there, there might just be one board of elders yeah. uh, or one, not even a board of elders often, just a board of trustees that oversees an appointment. All these churches can just be set up by the pastor and the pastor then appoints his own, you know, stacks his deck effectively. And I've done that. Um, I've stacked my deck, uh, but the the risk of narcissism is plain to see because where does the accountability come from? Well, the, yeah. the individual, the pastor can can choose those who he puts around himself. Um, and yeah, Chuck, Chuck DeGroat makes some good points, you know, and um, I think it's something that we're not super clued up on in the church and therefore there is a huge problem of, of emotional and spiritual abuse particularly in church leadership there's bullying that goes on and um well, I've personal experience lots of pastors will just keep quiet about it you know and won't yeah. say anything but it does happen and um and I, th- I think it's a really important book so I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that what else have i got i have dominion this is one that my oh my good friend uh bucky a fellow 
leader in in my church hope city church bought me um bookie bought me this tom holland dominion wow the making of the western mind so this has come highly recommended i've wanted this for a while to be honest so looking forward to getting myself stuck into that and then bex my wife picked me up because i have this on my logos software but you know how it is sometimes i find it it hard to read on a screen oh like definitely prefer, yeah definitely you know paper and ink really so she bought me this uh the apostolic fathers um the greek text and the english translations uh which i'm really uh, excited about you know uh, i want to improve my knowledge of of the the church fathers and so yeah dead chuffed about that are you reading anything in particular at the moment mate yeah i'm reading at the moment um evangelicalism divided a record of crucial change in the years 1950 to 2000 by ian ian murray that is a wow that is a bit of a classic banner of truth but this is again this is this is so relevant to now this is all about how kind of ecumenicalism has kind of brought together a lot of churches and, and actually ignored doctrine how doctrine has kind of been uh yeah neglected i mean it's an amazing and actually that it was the uh, the little booklet that i sent you is actually i think you sent it's me kind a booklet of, that i think it's kind it's of okay fantastic and a very abridged version obviously um another gospel by elisa childers uh which yep, which is an excellent book i really enjoyed that and going to be quoting from that later and of course christianity and liberalism by Gresh, um jay gresham oh, yeah, Macon, which, right here. um as part of our prep for what we're going to talk about today yeah. so yeah i've been quite busy been a book a bit of a bookworm the last few days yeah i've got i've been enjoying a few books at the minute i, I finished off uh, elizabeth elliott's uh, sufferings never for nothing um that's really good and and i think sometimes nice to mix your reading up isn't it yeah definitely and have something that's a little bit more kind of speaking to your heart. Like I need that yeah. for sure. <laughs> Sometimes we can get too much brain food um, and I, you know, you need that kind of more pastoral uh, voice. And then I'm reading um, James H. Thomas's translation of the Pilgrim's Progress, which is put oh, into wow. sort of modern English. So I'm, I'm reading that through. Uh, so yeah, got a few things on the go, um, which is always good. It's always good. I'm trying to get better at being uh, responsible with my reading yeah um, not getting distracted by this flipping phone uh but uh i'm getting there i've got my office now so sometimes you just have to leave your, your phone in another room and just you know pick yeah. up a book don't you so it's crazy it's isn't so it true. it's pinging so away and like you get like through this halfway through a sentence that's it that's it well um happy easter as well gareth oh you know, happy easter, this, uh, this podcast and happy easter to all of you listening in uh, we're recording this on Easter Saturday. Uh, obviously, you won't hear this for another few days yet, but I uh, want to wish you all a fantastic Easter and hoping that you're able to get down or or view um, your local church's Easter service. Uh, please pray for your pastors at this time. Uh, it's you know busy time for many pastors as they are prepping and and uh, and serving the Lord and His people at this time. Uh, but we're yeah we were looking forward to uh, to Easter service tomorrow in our church. I'm sure you are too. Uh, down there at uh, All Saints Woodford Wells, Gareth. Absolutely, um, definitely. So, yeah, tonight we are going to be discussing the topic of progressive Christianity, and uh, we've got a, we've got a fair bit to say on this subject. And I'm really, to be honest, looking forward to diving into this. I know that there are many podcasts and um, yeah books that deal with this in a lot more depth than we're going to deal with it tonight 
But I think it's important for us to dip our toes in and have our say on this because this is a subject that hasn't only been sort of brought to me academically, but actually has been something that I have personal experience of as well. Uh, and I think that's the same with you, isn't it, Gareth? You ha- you've had some personal experience of progressive Christianity. So it's kind of close to the heart, really, um, in some similar ways as our NAR episode was. We have experience of this movement. And I think, yeah, for that reason, perhaps I'm more excited than normal to to kind of handle handle this subject, you know? Um, I first came into contact with progressive Christianity before I could have called it that because it it didn't have that moniker back then. It would have been known as emergent church. uh, But even back then, you know, I I didn't know it as that. Um, I just, I remember there was, I had a friend who was involved in ministry. He was a bit older than me, much cleverer, much wiser. He'd just been through seminary. And uh, I think I was at this stage, I, I was at university and, uh, I would meet up with him for coffee and I'd always remember he would, I would always kind of feel put off my guard a little bit by him. Yeah. <laughs> never quite know what was coming next, you know, and it was some good conversations happened, no doubt. They were always provocative and um, I always had to be kind of thinking on my feet when I was talking to him. And the subjects we would talk about would often center around the Bible, you know, what did I believe about the Bible? Um, sexuality, you know, what was my position on certain things like that. Um, I would be pressed on these issues and uh, often not really have much much of an answer for him, uh, to be honest. And uh, I was willing to learn. I, I remember he would loan me books. I, I, I would, He gave me Rob Bell's Love Wins, uh, which I read. Uh, I also got... Um, what's Jim Backer's son? I've forgotten his name. Uh Jay Backer. He gave me a book by Jay Backer, who's another progressive pastor, and uh, another book by David Dark about questioning and sort of questioning being this, uh, this yeah, like in a similar way to Brennan Manning, like a kind of a, a spiritual discipline, almost um, something that's holy. And they were thought-provoking books, but I, I, I just always, I'll be honest, with you, I always felt uncomfortable. Yeah, I always felt a little uncomfortable with it, and I. Back then, when I couldn't really articulate myself on these subjects, uh, I didn't really know why that was, other than something in me just told me this Jesus that's being presented here is different than the one you know. Yeah, and, and, yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, in my head at the time, I thought, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. You know, it's quite possible that, um, you know, I've grown up kind of naively believing whatever I've been taught in church, and. And I'm honest enough with myself at that that age of kind of 18, 19 to know that I haven't read my Bible nearly enough. <laughs> yeah. Know? So so I'm willing to In kind that of the case, say, yeah, yeah, I'm will, I'm willing to kind of hold my hands up at that stage of life and say, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe this view of Jesus that this wiser older pastor has is actually the correct one, um, but I'm not sure that I like it. Um, I'm not sure I like it, and I think there's probably a number of reasons for that, but I just felt that this presentation of Jesus, as I say, was different than the one that I'd grown up with. Um, I I didn't feel particularly comfortable with it. It it made me feel uneasy. Um, It made me question 
my view of the Bible as being authoritative and turned it into something that I felt was much more malleable and yeah. could be sort of turned uh, to mean whatever you really wanted it to mean, uh, which made me very uncomfortable. And so, um, yeah, it, uh, to be honest, at the time, I, I just I didn't really have a, a proper response to it. I didn't have uh, an intelligent response to it at the time, but it just made me feel, like I say, uncomfortable and um, provoked some thought, yeah. sure. But uh, I just felt, man, I, I really need to read my Bible more, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is. And that's uh, what does it really, so, isn't yeah. it, ultimately? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I think if you're listening in and you um, have been influenced by progressive Christianity, well, you're among friends because so have I. And uh, I know that Gareth has been too. Uh, we're not here to, you know, to beat you over the head. We don't want to do that. But we do have, obviously, uh, some things to say and some concerns we want to air uh, with progressive, progressive Christianity. Um, you know, I, I think, for starters, it's worth acknowledging that many who are attracted to progressive Christianity are attracted to it because they are they're revolted by certain things that are happening in the evangelical church and i think i can i, I think i can identify with that you know they the, the leaders of the emergent church movement like rob bell brian mclaren and these people um really found much of kind of you know bible belt christianity in america distasteful and they found the kind of you know turn or burn but without any kind of real um intellectual grit you yeah. know that kind of like just kind of like very simplistic moral teaching that they found that to be too lightweight and they also found uh that church had become the thing that jesus didn't want it to become you know you turned my my father's house uh, from a house of prayer into a den of robbers you know that the evangelical church as they saw it had become consumeristic and had become about meeting the needs of the clientele right and so they wanted to get yeah. back to something more authentic they wanted teaching that really you know dug deep into study and teaching that kind of was i guess intellectually rigorous and i think we can applaud that and and i understand that and i think and also it's, probably it's thing sorry just i think also what occurs to me is for some people i think the the very shouty fundamentalist baptist minister particularly in america would yeah. probably have found that difficult maybe also someone uh, found that the, the, the sort of preaching or the teaching in the church very dry and dull and boring or not really you know so there's sort of yeah. different things like you say that people have just been put off by it yeah, I think so. I think so. And, you know, a lot of people that are interested in progressive Christianity um, yeah, do tend to be the more educated types. And so you, you, there's a restlessness there to want to know more. Um, but, you know, th even though progressive Christianity started out maybe with some good intentions, it went wildly off the rails and has gone wildly off the rails. Um, and I think tonight what we want to do is, is just kind of 
help those of you who are listening in to be able to identify it um, and hopefully to uh, hopefully to contrast that with a more orthodox Christian faith and perspective and practice um, so we're going to walk through certain kind of markers of what progressive Christianity is about and just talk around each of those yeah. particular issues really um, so I think to begin with Gareth we're going to talk about is it you have a quote or are you going to talk yeah. about the we'll just start off with a quote just it's just a good sort of um, so I went to progressivechristianity.org it's kind of nice to get it from the horse's mouth What? how would a progressive Christian describe progressive Christianity I thought it would be quite good to start there and, and so the, the sort of Progressive Christianity is described like this. Progressive Christianity is an open, intelligent and collaborative approach to the Christian tradition and the life and teachings of Jesus that creates a pathway into an authentic and relevant religious experience. So progressive Christianity is an open, intelligent and collaborative approach to the Christian tradition and the life and teachings of Jesus that creates a pathway into an authentic and relevant religious experience. Mm. And straight away, we can see, mm. um, just going to go through it, sort of break it down into five little kind of sections. Firstly, open and intelligent just makes me think of post-enlightenment liberalism, to be honest. Mm. Mm collaborative approach which kind of makes me think and we'll get to this later on the pluralistic religious worldview the kind of rejection of the exclusivity of christianity and the uniqueness of christ and also borrowing from other religions what can we get from buddhism oh hinduism they have that and actually that would be quite nice and you'll you'll see this kind of uh, flitting around the different religions we'll talk about that a bit later on and the christian tradition you know, this is, yes. um, yeah. this, to me, this sounds like a religion that's based on tradition, not on scripture. This is, well, you know, they this group of people did this and they did that over the years. And, oh, I like the way the Celts did that. Or I like the way that, you know, they did that. Yeah. And let's just throw it into a big pot and stir it. Yeah. The life and teachings of Jesus. Uh, so we've got no death, resurrection and ascension of Christ. It's almost mm. kind of a, a religious humanism. So the life and teachings of Jesus, and that will kind of lead on to um, looking at how it's kind of a moralistic religion. And then fifthly and lastly, an authentic and relevant religious experience. So again, like going back to what we were talking in the podcast last time with pragmatism, the idea is it's all a jolly nice experience that we can enjoy and uh, kind of a catharsis rather than a relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think um, there are many parallels to be drawn between progressive Christianity as we know it today, um, and the leaders of that would be, you know, Bly Brian McLaren, not Brian, <laughs> Brian McLaren, uh, Rob Bell, um, the late Rachel Held Evans, Nadia Boltz Weber. Um, these would be the kind of leaders of that movement today. Yeah. Um, Brandon Robertson, who went viral on TikTok the other day, calling Jesus a racist. You know, th this is all oh, that's absurd. Absolutely Christianity. Awful. And there are many parallels to be drawn between this breed of liberal Christianity and the liberal Christianity of the early 20th century and the late 19th yes. century. Um, the the form of Christianity, whether we can call it that, that was influenced by 
yes, the Enlightenment thinkers, um, philosophers like Hume, who denied um, the miraculous, and also um, influenced heavily by Darwinism. And we have to remember quite how big of an impact the origin of species made in the scientific realm, yeah. but also ultimately in the in the theological world. So you have these German theologians, German liberal theologians of the 19th century who begin to uh, re-edit sort of Christian views about scripture in a sense in order to accommodate these new shifts in thinking, the denial of miracles, um, the denial of Genesis 1 to 3 as a truthful meaningful manner of describing the way that we all came to be and so you know jay gresham macon in his book uh, christianity and liberalism really really touches on this and i think there's lots of parallels to be drawn if i, if I just quote from uh, this book uh, so he says this quote admitting that scientific objections may arise against the particularities of the christian religion against the Christian doctrines of the person of Christ and of redemption through his death and resurrection, the liberal theologian seeks to rescue, catch that word there, yeah. seeks to rescue certain of the general principles of religion, much like you said, the tradition. Did you hear yeah, that, the yeah. tradition? Try to rescue general principles of religion of which these particularities are thought to be mere temporary symbols. And these general principles he regards as constituting the essence of Christianity. He goes on to say, it may appear that what the liberal theologian has retained after, um, sorry, what the liberal Christian has retained after abandoning to the enemy one Christian doctrine after another is not Christianity at all but a religion which is so entirely different from Christianity as to belong to a distinct category. And I think this is what we see, the same um, traits that Machen found with liberal Christianity yeah. in the early 20th century, we absolutely see with progressive Christianity in the 20th. And this was my concern as I read Love Wins by Rob Bell all those years ago, was he seems to be letting go of some pretty big stuff here. Yeah, right? completely. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, he's all of a sudden he's a universalist, effectively, yeah. right? And, and I, you know, I thought, you know, I thought the Bible taught that, you know, not everyone's going to be saved, right? I thought that that's what the Bible taught, right? No, uh, you know, that one's out the window. And then slowly, year by year, you you would see Rob Bell just shed a doctrine a year, you know? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it really like, was, wasn't it? <laughs> um, until now. You know, when you see him pop up on Oprah, he's indistinguishable from, you know, Eckhart Tolle, who is a, a new age teacher or, um, you know, name any other kind of new age guru. Like there's there's very little to tell between a Rob Bell Christianity, if you want to call it. I don't even know if he accepts that term. And he anymore. was massive at one point. Like everybody, like every most um, kind of, I suppose, what would you say? The sort of young adults uh Young, Chris, young young adult Christians uh, would be massively into Rob Bell at one point in, in the evangelical yeah, I mean, world. It, like he did, he did a video series back in the day called "Everything Is Spiritual," and it was really provocative. Was yeah, really Numa thoughtful. videos and all those sorts Numa of things. videos. Yeah, exactly. And so he really did catch the attention of many of us in millennials in in our age bracket. And um, but I think that his bent, his his, his presuppositions, really. 
So what he brought to the table, what he presupposed before he began to do his theology was he presupposed that, number one, um, that that basically that human experience trumps scripture every time. Yeah. Okay. So what is my human experience? My human experience is that um, there are nice people. There are nice people who believe radically different things to me. There are really nice people who go about their lives differently than I do, that that practice sexuality in a very different way than, than I might think is okay. So therefore, um, in light of that and in light of the Bible, which seems to teach that God is love, how could I possibly tell these people that they need to change, that they need to repent if God is love and they seem to be people who I would consider a nice, upstanding, loving people? Um, how could I possibly believe that the Bible really teaches what they're doing is sinful? And so Rob Bell has this presupposition in all of his work uh, that begins with man and ends with God. It doesn't start with God yeah. and end with man. So I think that's where things start to come unstuck. Progressive Christianity is is um, is anthropocentric. You know, m- maybe more so than like NAR theology. Even it it begins with man. Uh, in fact, if I I'm going to read you a I'm going to read you a Rob Bell quote just just so it's not not just me kind of chucking uh, conjecture around there. Here we go. Uh, because the Jesus message again, you, you see that you hear that phrase there, yeah. the Jesus message. No Christian in the Bible or in the early church called the gospel the Jesus message, right? No. But we, why why change that phraseology? There's something about that. Because the Jesus message is first and foremost an announcement of who you are. Right. It's of who yeah. you are. It's about your identity, about the new word that has been spoken about you. That love that has always been yours. If you start with instructions and commands, people might be mistaken into thinking that God loves us because of what we do or how religious or moral or good we are. That's not the gospel, says Bell. The gospel is the announcement of who God insists you are. You are a child of God, not because of how great you are, but because God has all kinds of kids and you're one of them. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? And yeah. oh, sounds lovely. But again, we see how the gospel is not a proclamation of God's love and grace to us through the Lord Jesus Christ that begins with God. It's actually a proclamation about you. Yeah. So everything in the Bible centers around you. It's about your experience. It's about your identity. It's about who God says you are. And so I think that it was only inevitable, really, that we'd begin to see the abandonment of any doctrine that doesn't seem to kind of make us feel good, right? Yeah. You know, any doctrine that seems to kind of impinge upon my personal freedom, make me feel bad, make somebody else that I love feel bad. How could God possibly say that? Because the gospel's all about me, isn't it? Right? Yeah. So we can see very quickly that progressive Christianity, as was liberal Christianity, um, progressive Christianity even more so centers upon human experience yeah liberal christianity of the 19th century and the early 20th centered more it was it was modernism it centered more upon science and reason so it set that up it set that up as the kind of god and said well look here's where modern reasoning and science has brought us to therefore we must abandon these silly doctrines that are making us look silly so that was the idol whereas the idol in progressive christianity is no longer 
the idol of modernism. It's the idol of postmodernism. So postmodernism is obviously, it's about uh, perception. It's about experience, which dictates what reality is. Reality changes from being something, sorry, truth changes from being something that is objective into being something that is subjective. And progressive Christianity is effectively, it's a melody upon that theme. It's a melody upon postmodernism. Um, and I would I would say that's where its downfall is because postmodernism uh, can't hold on to the idea of objective truth. It, it has no space for it. Um, yeah. you know, and that's why I found that word collaborative really interesting in that quote was you can see there there's an assumption being made here, which is we don't have a monopoly on truth. The Bible doesn't have a monopoly on truth. Therefore, we need to collaborate in order to bring in as many different perspectives uh, in order to try and get closer to whatever we think truth is. Although postmodernism doesn't believe in truth. And so yeah, and that, uh, it a, all becomes a little bit absurd. That is a very good um, uh, analysis of it. And actually this whole thing about postmodernism and lack of truth is going to be a theme that we're going to see time and time again. And I just think for someone listening to this thinking, well, how can I really tell what progressive Christianity is like you know I think it'd be helpful for us to give some kind of key traits of it um, yeah. so we say look out for these things and, yeah. and that will help you to be able to I've got four of them that we'll just go through one by one but the first one as we've already kind of uh, started with is a low view of scripture so yeah Progressive Christianity does not view the Bible as being the infallible inerrant and inspired word of God and progressive Christians they don't stand under the word of God as being authoritative, but rather they see it as this kind of antiquated collection of ancient books that can be treated like kind of relics. And so they would see the Bible as being ancient ancestors' best attempts to understand God in their own culture using the knowledge that they had at the time. So to give a few quotes from uh, progressive authors, I mean, one would be from the biblical scholar, scholar Peter Enns. And in his book, The Bible Tells Me So, um, he basically describes the Bible as just being an ancient book that describes God from a very limited point of view. So it's yeah. just like people trying to, it's like children trying to write or something. I don't know. It's just people trying to describe God from a very primitive point of view. Obviously, you've already mentioned Brian McLaren, but... Brian McLaren in his book, A New Kind of Christianity. I mean, that kind of gives me the chills anyway, to be honest. Uh, and he describes the Bible as being an evolution of our ancestors' best attempts to communicate their successive best understandings of God. And then we move on to Richard Raw, who d argues that there's n no one clear theology of God, Jesus or history presented in the Bible. Yeah, there's, there's no clear theology of God. So doctrine isn't really a thing, according to Richard Raw. And of course, as you've already mentioned, Rob Bell. And in his, I mean, these book titles crack me up. What is the Bible? And then Rob Bell's going to tell you. Um, <laughs> I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't be rude, but it's funny. Rob Bell is in What is the Bible? It's, it smacks of irony, doesn't it? It does. There's so much the irony. The whole thing is built on postmodernism, which is effectively like, well, truth is your perception. That's exactly right? it. He so, says so no objective truth. Then they make objective statements about truth. <laughs> so it's, it is absurd and it is laughable. Um, so he says in his yeah. in what is the Bible, he he basically argues there's no such thing as objective or absolute truth or is truth. Is that true? 
<laughs> yeah, is that all truth that exists independently of, of relational reality? So basically, biblical truth is purely subjective, according to Rob Bell. Well, again, we all we need to do is we ask Rob Bell, is that true? Yeah. And if he answers yes, then he's undermined his whole position. Absolutely. Right? Like, I've got this Brian McLaren quote here um, from one of his books, which is this, quote, The Bible is not considered an accurate, absolute, authoritative, or authoritarian source, but a book to be experienced. And one can experience, sorry, one experience can be as valid as any other can. Experience, dialogue, feelings, and conversations are equated with scripture, while certitude, authority, and doctrine are to be eschewed. No doctrines are to be absolute, and truth or doctrine must be considered only with personal experiences, traditions, historical leaders, etc. The Bible is not an answer book. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's staggering stuff, isn't it? It's- it is remarkable, yeah. So there's that there's that view that basically that um you know there's this very low view of scripture. So the question is, well, why read the Bible then? Why even bother with it? Would be my question if that if that's the case. If it isn't the infallible, inerrant, and inspired word of God that God speaks to us directly through, um, well, then what, yeah, and what's the point? Why bother? Even more, even more, you know, even more so is that if you're going to take to yourself the moniker of Christianity, you know, little Christ, well surely you have to take into account how Jesus treated scripture. Yeah. You would think so, you know? And here's the issue is that the Bible clearly shows that Jesus treated scripture as authoritative. It it clearly shows that he felt that it was infallible, that, you know, he utilizes it in Luke 4 when the devil is tempting him. He quotes from it uh, continuously throughout the Gospels. Uh, never questioning the authority of the scriptures, never taking a moment to step aside and say, well, I am quoting this to you from Genesis, but of course we all know Genesis isn't really true, right? It's just a poem. He's the son of God, so he had all knowledge. He could have at any point stepped aside and shared knowledge like that, but he doesn't. He quotes from it as being authoritative. And so what this tells me is that progressive Christianity wants to effectively insert itself it wants to insert itself as the arbiter of yeah truth definitely rather than scripture it puts itself in the position of the of um of god uh it it, it says well actually no we'll decide what is really scripture and what what isn't um because we know best okay so what that is is that's actually idolatry and of course augustine had a great quote about that didn't he which was you know if you believe in the gospels what you like and throw out what you don't it's not the gospels you believe but yourself you know so that that's what we find in progressive christianity is the swapping out of god and the scriptures as the rule of faith and the insertion of autonomous man as the arbiter of truth and the rule of faith for the believer so that there can therefore be no binding doctrine uh, because as Brian McLaren has said um, there can be no such thing as doctrine we have to eschew certainty that's what McLaren says but if you look to the top of his quote what do we have the bible is not considered an accurate absolute authoritative or authoritarian source well that's certainty yeah isn't it you know so you have to ask serious questions about somebody that's going to contradict themselves so badly in one sentence like that and equally 
if there can be no certainty about everything, then why are most progressive Christians absolutely certain that homosexuality is not a sin? Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're like absolutely certain about that. You know, they're certain that these things are true. And, uh, you know, clearly for them, uh, you showing up in their church and, and reading out loud Leviticus 18, 20 or 1 Corinthians uh, 6 is going to get you kicked out, right? Oh, definitely. So, <laughs> absolutely. Like, because they're certain about these things. Why are they certain about them? Uh, because they have a sinful heart. They have a sinful heart and they've inserted themselves in the place of God. Uh, so um, it, it is an extremely self-contradictory view. And it, it sadly beguiles a lot of people because these people that uh, are teaching it, people like Brian McLaren, they're wordsmiths, Rob Bell. You, you can't take away from the fact that guy's a very good communicator. Rachel Held Evans could write so well. Um, Nadia Boltz Weber, a lot of charisma, tattoos, yeah. right? They look yeah. the part and they, they, they walk the walk, they talk the talk, they pop up all over the place on uh, you know, Oprah or whatever. They're very pervasive. And um, so they could be quite beguiling, but, but what they preach is nothing like historic Christianity, certainly nothing like Christianity of the Bible. Um, and so no. I think it's important to kind of mention these things. Um, sorry to se take a segue, but yeah, what was like, number two, Gareth, if you're for? Yeah, so just to conclude with that, it's essentially, it's like taking a pair of scissors to the Bible, isn't it? And sort of cutting out bits oh, you don't like. Yeah, and do you know, I remember there's one one um, person I knew who um, was very liberal in, in his theology and he had actually I couldn't believe this but I didn't even know that such a thing existed but he'd actually bought what is known as a Queen James Bible which is basically had removed all of the Bible verses that referred to um, homosexuality and and he'd, he kind of got this Bible and said you know I said well actually have you read the end of, I, I was just wondering because I mean, in my head I'm thinking I wonder if they took the verse out at the end of Revelation that said that you know anybody who removes all these, these verses you know is in big trouble you know but yeah, anyway yeah. I'll probably better move on so the, so that's that's the first one second one is a low view of Christ so the progressive Christian doesn't view Jesus as the orthodox Christian does. So the divine son of God who's worthy of our worship, praise and adoration, but rather he is a moral example for us to follow. So Jesus is kind of like a big brother that we look up to. And, and whilst there is, I mean, there's truth in us wanting to follow Christ's example and we should do, but progressive Christians really make that the main thing. So mm. Jesus is just a picture of what we can be and what we can do. And, oh, wouldn't the world be a much better place if we could just be more like Jesus and that's really they just got this idea of Christ as being just someone that oh just be like be like him you know apart that, from when he's racist to the Syrophoenician woman Gareth yeah then, oh yeah absolutely yeah oh, then, then you know then he gets put in his place apparently oh apparently yeah I mean that's <laughs> the worst exegesis I've ever seen in my life really well it wasn't it was just a sort of like a projecting of of kind of woke views onto yeah the Bible. It's well, awful. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. If you haven't seen it, we're making reference to Brandon Robertson, who's a progressive pastor, um, uh, who had a viral video on TikTok a few weeks back, claiming that Jesus was a racist. And I thought I'd seen it all. I really had with the Syrophoenician it. woman, yeah. where you know she says, "Oh, even dogs eat the crumbs from under the masters or under the children's table." I can't remember the exact quote. Um, that she was actually confronting his racism at this point and he says that jesus repented 
and this strong, powerful woman corrected him. And so, um, yes, according to progressive Christians, we attempt to live up to the example of Christ other than when he's a bigoted racist. Yeah. Then, uh, <laughs> or yeah. other than when we decide he's not being that. Uh, so you can see in this uh, eisegesis is what we call it, isn't it? We yeah. can see in this eisegesis, um, this woke eisegesis, that um, it really isn't even Jesus that dictates morality to us. It, it's us. We, According to the progressive Christian, we dictate what is moral to Jesus. Yeah. And uh, we decide if he's being sinful or not. Absolutely, right. And so that, that I mean that's the that's that's the thing that we're seeing a lot well, as well as that. It's insane, isn't it? You think about that. Sorry to interrupt, but you just like you no longer have a sinless savior then, do you? No. If he sinned in being a racist and needed to repent and be forgiven, you don't have a savior. I don't no. know if anybody clocked that, but there you know, there goes your savior. Uh <laughs> I mean, it is. And the fact that that passage is all about him uh, actually wake, bringing faith out of her and actually and actually commending her for her faith and actually yeah. and actually allowing, actually growing the faith in this woman. Like Jesus did lots of things that we don't understand. But then when you look back, you realize he was doing something very specific in that person spiritually. Yes. You know, and this this is like uh, uh, the ignorance to, uh, to to come out with something like that, which is just blasphemy anyway, really. It's just it is. It's all you can describe it as. It so is. there's that sort of low view of Christ. Um, and also progressive Christianity essentially is, is focused on cultural moralism and, and not salvation. So it's it's focused on a moralism if jesus isn't to be worshipped and obeyed then you're just trying to emulate him and be a good person okay so i'm just trying to be a good person be more like jesus but there is a huge problem with that as uh, gresham macon points out in christianity and liberalism and, and it's a brilliant quote of his he says once you affirm that jesus was sinless and all other men are sinful and you've entered into an irreconcilable conflict with the whole modern point of view. Mic yeah. drop. Like Je- Jesus is, <laughs> is sinless, perfect, and, and everybody else is sinful. So, you know, that's completely scuppered that one. So what you've got is a really just a moralistic religion. But then again, there's, there's, a, there's a slight twist to that because since it's a liberal postmodern moralism, it, it doesn't lean to the moralism of scripture. So it's not really a, a legalism as such. It's more of a license. So it, it takes its lead from the culture, not the Bible. So and, and what script, uh, rather than what scripture teaches. So we're not even talking about biblical morality. We're talking about so whatever the culture says. And so you, well, what, yeah. you, what you've got is going to be a, a mixture. Well, whatever the culture says is always going to be a mixture of biblical morality and worldly immorality that's been accepted. So, for example, racism. Absolutely. Racism is of the devil. It's wrong. So absolutely right to condemn racism. But actually to talk about something like transgenderism or abortion and say, well, actually, if you say that abortion is wrong, you're, you're anti-women. Or if you're, you know, if you're saying that someone shouldn't change their gender, then you're bigoted. So, yeah, you know, we, should, you sh- we shouldn't be racist and we shouldn't be anti-abortion and we shouldn't, and they lump them all in together. Yeah. So it, it, essentially there's a mixture of things which you know, we would say, well, that, the Bible does teach that. Be kind to your neighbor, love one another, you know, be kind to people. But also at the same time, whilst not being unkind to people, we have to call some things out. We have to say abortion is wrong. We're murdering babies in the womb. Well, uh, I think it, it, 
yeah sorry gareth carry on so yeah so there's that and then there's that the culture saying that um essentially whatever's right in the culture or whatever's whatever's right based on 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 it's kind of like a humanism it's essentially that's why progressive christianity is the perfect bedfellow for a woke ideology a cultural marxism a critical theory and social justice is that it's essentially it's it's a morality that's kind of based on on biblical values and teaching but it's actually also based on the culture and bearing in mind that most progressive christians don't really read and study the bible anyway and this is true because you only have to read and study the Bible to just see immediately how all this is so flawed. It's true. I mean, you don't read any systematic theologies by progressive Christians, do you? No, that, I don't <laughs> think no any exists. No. There's no commentaries by them because they don't trust it. Like you, The point you've just made, I think, is summed up by one of our progressive pastors we mentioned earlier, by Nadia Bolz Weber. I think that's how you pronounce it, or Weber. Um, she said this, quote, my argument in this book, and it's her book, Shameless, A Sexual Reformation. My argument in this book is this. We should not be more loyal to an idea, a doctrine, or an interpretation of a Bible verse than we are to people. If the teachings of the church are harming the bodies and spirits of people, we should rethink those teachings. Yeah. And so there you have it. Anything that causes any level of spiritual harm subjectively to another human is something that we as a church need to address in our teachings so our doctrines are things that ought to shift based on what the world finds to be pleasing i think essentially is what you find with progressive christianity is it as it is today is that it's more or less i think anyways is my view it's, it's more or less a kind of religious cloak for leftism yeah, um, you, I think you don't so. Find, you don't find any kind of conservative types being progressive Christians. <laughs> yeah, you really don't. You really don't. You don't. You don't find any kind of Americans, you know, like lobbying for less gun control and also being a progressive Christian. Yeah, like it does seem to be essentially like a kind of yeah, like a a, a religious cloak for political leftism, especially since their teachings and doctrines do seem to shift left ever more yeah um you can see this in in the seminaries in the states sadly and and in many in europe as well in bible colleges or theology courses at university um there is a general shift that way of course but uh, with progressive christianity it's rabid um (laughs) so yeah and i i think you're absolutely right gareth what you've said is is true um it's sadly it does progressive christianity wants to put itself in the position of god and of the holy spirit yeah in determining what living a life that honors god looks like um and doesn't see scripture as being consistent doesn't see scripture as being a consistent witness of God's word um and so therefore they insert themselves into that position and say well um there is no certainty but I'm actually certain it's this you know it's yeah. I'm certain I'm certain about that there is no certainty so it's no absolutely right uh, it's absurd yeah no, that's absolutely right and and that kind of leads on to the fourth kind of key 
uh, sort of trait of progressive Christianity, and that is that it downplays our fallenness. Like, uh, you're not going to hear progressive Christians talking about sin. You're really not. And it's not a gospel of salvation either. It, and it's not about you being a wicked, rebellious sinner. You're not going to hear that at all. And no. quoting again from Gresham Macon's excellent Christianity and Liberalism book, which I think is such a fantastic yeah. book for the, to, to read around all this. And he says... At the very root of the liberal movement is the loss of the consciousness of sin. The consciousness of sin was formerly the starting point of all preaching, but today it is gone. And I just think, wow, yes, that is so true. Because, I mean, even even this is kind of filtered down into the mainstream where churches that I wouldn't describe as being progressive, that they're more kind of mainstream evangelical, they're not preaching um, sin. And and you notice that all the revivals start with, uh, and all all of the, the... the great revivals have always started with a preaching around the need to repent. Well, they uh, have, yeah. Like, I don't know if you've read um, or if you've heard of Brian Zand. You come across Brian Zand? I haven't actually. I'll add that to my list of Graham's recommendations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, wait till I hear what. Wait till you hear yeah. what I've said. <laughs> but Brian Zand um, wrote a book a few years back that that made waves in the charismatic church um, about beauty and you know I, I never actually got around to reading the book but it was it was repped very highly at Bethel at the time oh right now now Brian Zand is a progressive Christian okay um, I won't add that to my he, reading list then <laughs> <laughs> um but but I um yeah I I remember uh I remember hearing him talk uh about this issue of uh of of sin and um and he and is it the the author of the shack have a very similar kind of view on these yeah. things. Um, yeah, I've I've completely lost my thread. What we were talking about? What was your point, Gareth? That I just just jumped essentially, off of. We're essentially talking about uh, that preaching from the point of sin being the yeah, starting that was it, point. Right. So he he wrote a book called um, I think it's called it was a response to sinners in the hands of a loving father. I think it was. Oh, so he's twisting um, Jonathan Edwards' sinners in the yeah. hands. Of- Angry God, and I think yeah. I, I heard that he'd written that book, and um, it's going back a number of years now. And I just thought, well, you know, what's he rebutting? You know, I thought I'd better read this Jonathan Edwards "Sinners in the hang- Hands of an Angry God," and you know, poor little NAR boy, all those years ago, opening up Jonathan Edwards' sermon "Sinners Mic in the drop. Hands of an Angry God," but bro, it blew me away. It blew me away. I was like, I felt so convicted. I saw that I needed the grace of Jesus again, freshly. And, um, you know, it was everything really that uh, that the progressive church hates. You can see why they hate the Puritans so much. Oh, and, um, yeah. And sadly, because of the, the way in which people like Brian Zand write, and is it um, William Paul Young or something like that, the, the author of The Shack, Similarly, you know, hates limited atonement, hates the idea of original sin, um, and they have a persuasive way of writing. They, they they write in a storytelling kind of way. They they don't kind of make um, overt, immediate doctrinal statements. They keep it pretty light until they've sucked you in. And unfortunately, like huge swathes of the charismatic church got sucked in by the, by these guys. You know, loved the shack, right? Oh, it's brilliant. I love the shack. You know, I've got two copies. 
from way back when. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember in that there's a there's a, a line, isn't there? It was just like, what? I don't need, to, you know, um, the name of the female uh, character that plays God says, you know, I don't need to punish sin. Oh, Papa, yeah. Yeah, Papa, I don't need to punish sin. Sin's in a, enough of a punishment on its own, Oh, you know? Yeah. And like, so you see that, you see the threads there. And so this kind of progressive ideology was actually progressed um, by the shack and um, by people like um, Brian Zand, uh, sort of in a Trojan horse, really, so that many real faithful Christians caught hold of this stuff and now don't preach on sin. They, they preach a, a gospel of... Um, there's still a reconciliation element to it, but what it's turned into for many kind of charismatic churches is now, well, you know, let's steer clear of sin. Because yeah. the, these guys back in the day, the Jonathan Edwardses of this world, they just didn't understand the father heart of God. And so um, we, we, we need to be careful mentioning sin. So we'll preach a gospel that says that uh, essentially you're just all really lovely. Uh, you're all wonderful. You're lovely. Um, you're all God's children. Um, he wants you back in relationship with him, even though you really you really haven't gone anywhere. You're just a bit lost. Um, all you need to do is just kind of realize that he loves you and that you're really amazing. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's it, you know. So there's no sin. There's no repentance. It's just a turning to Jesus because he says you're awesome and it's going to make your life a lot better. And, and actually, I think that, change in the proclamation of the gospel that we've seen at places like Bethel um, is in some part I think due to the influence of progressive Christian authors um, like Zand and like Young so yeah anyway I can believe that way, but yeah so it's kind of like in a sense is um, in a sense really progressive Christianity is, it's not rooted at all in biblical orthodoxy it's, it's no. really very much rooted in worldly culture and I'll be honest, I kind of see it as, if I was trying to describe it, I'd describe it almost like a Gnostic humanism yeah. or something like that, or kind of like a religious humanism. It, it's, it is humanism. It's not Christianity, it just isn't. Uh, no. And we'll kind of get to that more. But I just a book that I already mentioned at the beginning, but I, I just want to mention it again because... I think if you're wanting to get a book to read about progressive Christianity, I think Elisa Childers' Another Gospel is so well written. And not only that, I mean, she's got a brilliant podcast and vodcast yeah. as well as we know. So I want to recommend that to you. But she's so open and honest and warm in the way she describes her own story and her own crisis of faith and uh, as her beliefs were challenged by a progressive pastor um, who apparently called himself a hopeful agnostic. And Elisa Childers describes the, the story, journey of wrestling with the questions at the core of her belief before being able to find the truth. And I'll be honest, reading this book just triggered back memories for me being a, a young new Christian in my early 20s. I didn't really know very much, but even without a, any real grid for theology, just knowing that it really didn't ring true a lot. And and this kind of took me back to so when I was going to this kind of emerging church and I remember there was a real absence of any confessional Christian faith. I, I do remember, it was kind of strange because you'd normally have someone giving a talk and teaching and then there'd be a response to that or whatever. Instead, I just remember people with 
very strange facial hair sitting in a circle kind of just airing really bizarre ideas about god like like just like well that's very sounds, inter- sounds like my theology degree mate. <laughs> and you're just sitting around and thinking someone goes oh well i like to think of god like this you think okay not a bible in sight by the way just just some guy with some sort of really bizarre trousers that you're just like my goodness i can't believe you left the house wearing those trousers you know that's all you can think and he's telling you about about some really weird new agey idea he's got about god but anyway um Ch- uh, childers explains in her book that the emergent movement sought to adapt christianity to the postmodern mood that now dominated culture in a nutshell postmodernism rejects the idea that absolute truth can be known so again that's something we've already been over um, but then she goes on very insightfully and i, and I love this bit because this really absolutely just made me go yeah i, I get this she says Mixing elements from many different denominational traditions, uh, the emergent movement embraced ancient mysticism and focused yeah. on spirituality over religion. How true that is. Mm. Interfaith dialogues became a regular practice among people. So there's there's your kind of pluralism that we had at the beginning, the collaborative yeah. thing. Uh, interfaith dialogues became a regular practice among people who met to share stories with bizarre facial hair. That's my bit added. <laughs> Why though? Why I, always the weird facial hair? I just Why don't understand. It was just a thing, wasn't it? Was it was just a thing, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. <laughs> um, the more liberal you got, the more odd your goatee got. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and learn from each other's belief systems. And sometimes lines were blurred and this caused Christian apologists and theologians to express concern over the general ambiguity surrounding the beliefs of those in uh, the movement. And that is spot on for me. That really totally yeah. matches my experience of being in an emerging church. And, you know, do you know what the irony was? I remember that there's this whole big noise about, the, the, you know, that the, the established church is, is just really not connecting with, with um, young people anymore. And Generation X, which was kind of my generation, which the millennials of, you know, 15 years ago, whenever it was, 20 years ago, uh, you know, we're, you know, they, that whole... 20s and 30s group of people have left the church because the church isn't, isn't relevant so we need to make church relevant again so ironically what they did was so weird and way out <laughs> that it would be far less embarrassing just to invite your friend to church because so, go yeah we know what to expect it's going to be singing hymns and and you know there'll be someone, someone preaching from the front and 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 then you know we're going to you know whatever have some prayer time whatever but this would be oh, this week we're all lying on the floor staring at the ceiling or something. And it's <laughs> like, what, is this it's postnatal true. classes or something? Like, what is going on? Yeah. Uh, this, this is just bizarre. You know, this is really strange. Why are we, why are we doing these weird oddball things? Yeah. And um, I just remember thinking to myself, you know, this, you're trying to be more relevant. Like, you're trying to be more relevant, but all you're really doing is actually something which is so odd and weird that it's actually embarrassing and off-putting. So there was that. And I just remember thinking to my... There was that, there was that real narrative about um, thinking about how we can... It, it was experimental. And it was experimental in, I thought at the time, a pointless way. And now I realise a very dangerous way that you just kind of sort of buffet cart it around different world religions and go, oh, I like the bit, what, Buddhism, that's nice. And put that on the plate. Oh, a bit Hinduism. And, you yeah. know, oh, that, that particular sort of new agey stuff. Tree hugging's fun. Let's do that. And it's just... Yeah, well, you know, in some emerging churches, um, you know, I know of one where... You know, there would be talks. There would be somebody talking sometimes to share a message, but quite often it wouldn't be a Christian. No, <laughs> exactly. Know, just like invite the local, you know, imam is going to come down and share 
or let's invite a local Sikh ambassador who's going to come and share. You know, so literally just having other, you know, ministers of other religions coming yeah. in and teaching you. So, yeah, I remember that being a bit of an alarm bell, just thinking, okay, so we've we've fully abandoned the Bible as being authoritative. Yeah, then, we've, right? we've just know? sort of like, it has a name, it's called pluralism, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that, that, was, that was my experience. And... and and just look at the and just reading this book and just thinking back, to, you know, the sort of the leaders like Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, Doug Paget, and all the ones we've mentioned. And one of Rob Bell's most famous quotes is when he says, "The church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from two thousand years ago as their best defence." And I think that just yeah. kind of sums the whole thing up, doesn't it? And well, that, it does, yeah. But so that that was really, I mean, that was really the, the whole emerg- my experience of the emerging church and really resonating with with Elisa Childers' book in that. It just moves on to um, the main thing, and obviously, as tomorrow's Easter Easter Sunday, and we think about Good Friday and Christ dying on the cross and and him being raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. At the heart of the Christian faith, and the whole reason why we celebrate Easter, the atoning self-substitute of Jesus Christ on the cross, giving himself as the ultimate Passover lamb for the forgiveness of sins, that is the central truth of Christianity, and that is the main thing that progressive Christianity cannot stand. They hate it. They absolutely hate hate it, it. don't they? They hate it. Um, Yeah, particularly the, the substitutionary atonement element. Yeah. of the cross isn't it really there's a an absolute hatred of um of that truth um but we know it's scriptural yeah <laughs> like i don't know if you know but first corinthians 15 3 uh when we read that which is uh for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also re- received uh christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried, that he was raised the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Uh, and it goes on. That's actually an early church creed yeah, uh, that's recorded and uh, would have been repeated within home church gatherings. Scholars believe as close as five years after the resurrection of Jesus. And whenever we uh, whenever that creed was repeated, well, guess what? The, you know, the death of Christ was completely synonymous with sin, with our sin, with that transaction. And he died for our sins. That was the uh, that was the reason he died. That's what he he did. Um, and so the early church absolutely saw this as central. And there's a kind of a lot of bluster that's made about, oh, well, penal substitutionary atonement was just is something that Calvin brought in. But we know that's not the truth. Uh, <laughs> penal, yeah. you know, penal substitutionary atonement was taught by the fathers. Um, it wasn't, of course, taught singularly as a view of the atonement. We do have uh, lots of teaching on uh, on Christus Victor. Um, you know, we, we see that. Um, but at the same time, that is, it's it's false to say that penal substitutionary atonement isn't well isn't the central view of the cross in the New Testament. Oh, absolutely, and is. also and also was preached by the fathers. It would be false to say that. And prophetically, in the Old Testament, when you've got the sin bearing servant of Isaiah fifty three, you know how can you possibly say that Christ didn't carry sins on the cross? And of course, progressive Christianity is going to hate penal substitutionary atonement because it doesn't really believe in the sinfulness of mankind 
Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's like the, not going to like it. <laughs> the one, P, one Peter, one Peter three eighteen for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. That the whole fact of he suffered for the unrighteous. I mean, and, and yeah. it's all the way through Scripture. Like you really have to get your scissors out and get chopping to basically get rid of that from the bible don't you you you've got to try really hard you know you got to um, put your bible through the shredder to really get through get rid of that one haven't you yeah for, for you know <laughs> 2 corinthians 5 21 for our sake he made him to be sin yeah to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god like you can't get away from it it's right there you know he's the perfect sacrifice for sin he is our paschal lamb yeah you know he he is the ultimate uh, provision of God for our sins you know that's why you know because when we look back to Genesis 22 and we look at um, when Abraham first calls God Jehovah Jireh what's he talking about he's saying God will provide what did he provide a lamb a ram sorry caught in a thicket right yeah so Jehovah Jireh points to the substitute it points to our sin substitute Jesus and so there's no getting away from that and so you just think well how does a progressive christian celebrate easter you know like, yeah. <laughs> what happens at easter we we just i guess they look at exemplar or something like that you know as an example of um sacrificial love i guess yeah but, but there is a denial of of the sin-bearing servant you know in christ yeah it would be very much the kind of um well Christ dies to set us an example of how much he loves us and yet you think to yourself well that doesn't make any sense why would he need to die to do that or well that's it yeah there's I think honestly that that message is is kind of is preached a lot or at least was back in the 90s um when I was growing up was just you know Jesus loves you so much he died for you and you just think like when a kid hears that who doesn't have a grid for what you're saying you're like why is death the ultimate exposition of love yeah like my mum loves me so much the worst thing she could do is die for me absolutely then i wouldn't have her around right so i actually if jesus just loves me so much he, he'd probably you know just just don't die like yeah you know, don't die um so the idea of jesus loves you so much he died for you i i think is a massive mistake and i think probably your is it uh, ian murray book yeah you showed earlier is it something evangelicalism divided yeah we'll, we'll 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 flesh that out a little bit because i think a lot of the misunderstandings that we see amongst christians today around the subject of what is the gospel stem from the fact that in the last hundred years, what we've seen is doctrinal distinctives being rubbed away. We, we've seen people wanting to obfuscate clear scriptural revelation about Jesus being our propitiation. We've seen, obviously, because of people wanting unity, they're willing to say, well, yeah, we can agree to disagree about these these major issues. And so, therefore, what gets preached is a is a less fleshed out version of the gospel. And so then you leave the door open to false teaching, which is what this is, progressive Christianity. Um, you leave the door open to that stuff because nobody's got any defense for it any longer. Nobody really knows what the Bible says about the cross. So we're sitting ducks in many ways. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting, just as you mentioned the Ian Murray book, he actually, uh, just a quote from this book, he says, by the mid-20th century, the correctness of that conviction was amply confirmed. The, the first assembly of the World Council of Churches in 1948 offered membership to churches which accept our Lord and Jesus, Jesus Christ as God and Saviour, but it expressed no concern whatsoever about how these few words should be interpreted. Rather, there's the assurance that the basis is not a creedal test to judge churches uh, churches or persons the only belief which appeared to be sacrosanct was that the christian standing of all participants should not be open to doubt so immediately you've you've got all kinds of uh theological ambiguity haven't you with that yeah well we're savior savior from what yeah yeah from my own ego i mean from from bad habits from from bad stuff yeah uh savior from failure yeah you know could be anything couldn't it really um and i think if if there's one thing you have to applaud um apologists of progressive christianity for it's their ability to change the meaning of words yeah you know uh, to to completely skin christian words of all of their original meaning and give them an entirely new meaning and therefore leading many people astray. I think there's a great example of this in Nadia Boltz Weber's work where she defines holiness um, not as the biblical definition of of holiness as being pure, set apart, um, sinless, um, pure, like I said already, but, but rather as simply being the most authentic version of yourself Yes, I remember that's what that. she would define yeah. define holiness as, and so she'll use the word holiness. But what she means by it is something entirely different, yeah, than what an Orthodox Christian would mean. And so we see where the confusion comes in, and and how these um, doctrinal distinctives get eroded away, um, and how people get led astray. Yeah, and I, I think that is. That is one of the the, the the big problems with this, and 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 the fact that again, if we, as we've already said, progressive Christians would reject the idea of hell, that, uh, sort of sin, but also hell. Yeah. as we see, um, Rob Bell famously explored in his book um, Love Wins, as you already yeah. mentioned, he suggests that hell is really just an experience of evil on earth, and not a place of punishment yeah. mentioned time and again in Scripture, even though actually Jesus himself warns about hell more than anybody else and i think if we were kind of going to summarize um i I would argue that since progressive christianity denies the authority of scripture the sinfulness of humanity the uniqueness of christ his atoning sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and salvation coming by grace alone through faith alone it has to be concluded then that progressive Christianity isn't Christianity at all, but rather it's an evil deception that leads away from the truth and in, into into essentially uh, lies and a lost eternity. Absolutely, and this is this is why we do this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. This is why we do this because a false Jesus can't save you. Amen. You know, and and it, it's no good saying, "Well, I believe in Jesus." You have to ask the question, "Which Jesus do you believe in?" Yeah. And these, sadly, these are the days that we live in. And in a sense, nothing has changed. You know, nothing has changed in the constitution of mankind in that we are sinful and in that we subvert the truth and suppress the truth, you know, in our unrighteousness, as Romans 1 says. And so we we do these shows 
not because we want to be miserable old so and so that we are yeah. but, um, <laughs> but we don't intend to be doing that in this show we do this because we believe in truth yeah and we believe that only the real jesus can save you amen and that the bible teaches through the inspiration of the holy spirit that hell is a real place jesus talks about it more than any other and so that for that reason it's our duty as christian ministers to warn against any false presentation of jesus which denies these realities and therefore cannot be a savior to any sinful individual so it's important for us to do this work it really isn't to be miserable to slate no, people not at all. It, it it it's because there is an interest um in preserving the truth of the gospel absolutely right well that's all we've got time for on today's show uh thank you again for listening in i will attempt to add all of the links to the books we've been reading into the show notes as i did last time uh, there are other shows on the podcast if you're an, a new first-time listener so please do subscribe to the podcast go and listen back to some of the earlier episodes really interesting stuff there and uh, if you do enjoy the podcast we'd always appreciate if you could leave us a little rating and a review uh, it always helps get the word out to other listeners um, until next time uh, we wish you all the best and we pray god's blessing upon your life take care god bless take care bye-bye now <laughs>